So I'm going to speak today on, on the topic of prayer, which um, seems like it could be helpful. And I, specifically, I want to talk about uh, places and assignments of prayer, because um, there are different ways, you know, and, and it gets confusing. Like, people are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So listen, take notes. You can get this online. I, I believe these notes, my, my own notes with the scriptures might be available online. Yeah, okay, they are, yeah. See, I'm just not techie, and I don't know that stuff, but I'm thank you for our amazing tech team. So, um, there, you know, there are times that are pivotal. There are times of turning in history and, and things that happen that, that reverberate through the centuries. Pivotal moments, I mean, there's so many in history, so many individual lives that have shifted history that, you know, people we've never heard of. But here's just two from Scripture that we've heard of, but ponder this. Mary, in the fullness of time, it was a really dark time, uh, all, you know, oppression under the Roman Empire, religious persecution, social injustice, et cetera, et cetera. And Gabriel, the angel, comes to Mary and speaks to her, and, you know, tells her she's going to have a baby who will be the savior of the world. And, and she's, you know, inquires, you know, how's this going to happen? And he explains it to her, the power of the Most High will come upon her and, and the power of the Holy Spirit will, she'll be, that the child will be the child of God. And Mary's response was very important. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Those words opened the door for salvation to the human race. Do you understand? It was God's purpose, but God is not a tyrant. He's looking for partners. He waits for our permission. Now, sometimes, you know, the permission is pretty much, we might not be prepared, but he can make it an impact that persuades us. Have you ever been persuaded of the Lord? You know? <laughs> okay, so here's the second example of a pivotal moment. Saul of Tarsus was a really intense, zealous Jew. You can read he describes himself in Galatians and describes himself. He, it, he's described in the book of Acts as breathing out, threatening, and slaughter. That's bad breath. And uh, and he's just running around trying to arrest Christians, trying to eradicate this, this heresy, and he has a collision with the glorified Jesus Christ. He's knocked to the ground, he's blinded by light, and, and, and he says, this is really important words spoken by Saul of Tarsus, Acts 9, 5. Who are you, Lord? And he, meaning the light, who had knocked him down, the person, who is the light, said, I am Jesus. <laughs> I'm sure he was speaking Hebrew or Aramaic. I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. Which is really interesting because he identified with the body of Christ. But, and <laughs> that little question, who are you, changed the world. And so sometimes we give permission, sometimes we ask the question that opens the conversation with God that's going to be transformational, amazing. Two very short uh, human things. So here's the main thing, you know, so God is looking for partnership with you, and it's important to understand that you have a position in Christ 
that is amazing. You have a status in Christ that's amazing. You're the righteousness of God. You've been declared righteous. That's your status. But it's also important that location, location, location. How many know you can have status, but if you're not in the right place, that status is ineffective? And so location is really important. And, uh, and so sometimes that works out practically, and, but, some, but here's the, the, the really important location that we need to have that, that is actually portable. Paul describes it in his letter to the Colossians, verses one, chapter one, verses 26 to 27. I'm just gonna take two phrases, one from 26. The mystery, a mystery in scripture means something that can only be understood if God reveals it. It's not a, like a Sherlock Holmes mystery or Agatha Christie mystery. It is something that we sense is there, but we can't peer into it until he opens it up. The mystery hidden for ages and generations is now revealed. It's revealed, and that mystery was that God himself would become a man and solve the problem of separation, you know. And by death, take away our sins. By resurrection, destroy death and the bondage thereof. And, and then in verse 27, he sums it all up with the, the final phrase of that verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So not only are you, is Christ in you, but you are in him. And in that location, there are no limits. You stand, we stand as the image and likeness of the creator within the temple of his creation. Restored in Christ, recreated as new creation, we have more potential than we can understand. We're the light of the world, the creative force, the life-giving force in the world. We're the salt of the earth, preserving and giving it flavor to the Lord. And, and so John writes about this in 1 John chapter 4, one of my favorite verses, 16. So we know, so we've come to know and believe the love God has for us. It's just not a cosmic love, it's a personal love directed toward you. It's directed toward each person here very personally. And like, you know, here I am, I'm looking out at you and I see people I recognize but I can't remember their name because it's like, hello, I'm 73. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I have too many names in my bank and my, my disc might be slightly in need of repair or reformatting or something like that. But, but I love you, but I'm telling you, he never forgets your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your dreams, your aspirations. He actually knows what's holding you back. And he wants to lead and guide you into all truth. He's given you, I mean, this is amazing. So we, begin, we know the love God has for us per, personally and individually. But on top of that, whoever, then John goes on, if we, if we live in love, God is love. When we live in that love he has for us, we're living in him. And better than that, he's living in us. And the next verse goes on and says, that's how we're perfected. Love is perfected by staying in love. It's made complete among us, so we'll have confidence on the day of judgment because in the, in this, as he is, so are we in this world. Or as the New International puts it, 
because in this world we're like him. I love that. In this world we're like him. Oh, Jesus. How me, what humility that God would say that about us. Say that about me. I don't know about you. Maybe you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, wow. You know, and we behold his face. And in beholding him, we reflect him and we're transformed. And, 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 it, and then... And the amazing thing is, in this position you have, this location in Christ, all the categories that separate you and create hostility between groups of people who get their identity from some category that's artificial, thus you have the oppressed and the oppressor and all these kind of crazy ideas. God has a better idea. Galatians 3.28, in Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, which doesn't mean God is gender confused at all. He's just saying that if you're a woman or you're man, you're still, you have equal location in God and equal potential. God is in you. Come on, for you are all one in Christ. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility that's created by categories, and he's made of the two, one new man, one new human being. It's God's plan. And so this is the time to wake up. If you were here last week, you heard Banning say, I have a word from the Lord for you. It's wake up and get to work. You know? <laughs> Love <laughs> does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love fulfills the law. And doing this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake up out of sleep. Now our salvation, our breakthrough, our healing, our deliverance is nearer than when we believed. Freedom is at stake, our own personal spiritual freedom, Political freedom is at stake because political liberty, the concept of political liberty comes out of the appreciation of salvation and what it means as it works through our lives and brings liberty all around. The concept of a free uh, nation did not exist until Israel was at Mount Sinai for 40 days and God laid out a, a whole plan to Moses, like, okay, these people have a lot of problems, but here's, here's the rules and regulations, how they treat each other, how they treat property, how they, blah, 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 blah. And out of that has come everything that, you know, brings forth fruit into political liberty. Is it under threat right now? Absolutely. Are there globalists who want to destroy liberty and put everyone into like a worldwide slave system? Absolutely. And you'll own nothing and be happy. No, you're not that stupid. Okay, just, you know, because God will give you inheritance and it will be yours for you and your children forever. And he deals with us according to stewardship and opportunity, not according to somewhere there's a group of really smart people that are gonna tell everyone else in the world how to live. Meanwhile, we'll reduce the world population to 500 million. Set us free, God. It's not gonna happen, but because of that, we're in a time where there's a massive cultural civil war. And, it's be, and, and our, our own nation is in danger, but I wanna tell you this, America has not passed the point of no return. There's always hope. Wherever God's people are, wherever God's people are praying, there are things that God has up his sleeve that no one figured into the equation of how to take over the world. 
So I want to encourage you to pray. Like, not I pray for your own needs, but we're praying for our families, we're praying for our cities, we're praying for our, our state and for our nation and for the nations of the world. Okay. So anyway, something that's fun is you realize in this position you have in Christ and in what God has done in the Holy Spirit, you have unlimited potential. On Acts chapter two, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters on all flesh. So God is actually, and you're, you know, there'll be prophecies, there'll be dreams, God will give strategies. This was God's plan to transform the world, pour out the Holy Spirit, because when, when, if you live in a continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your personal life, you're never defeated. You can be knocked down, but you're not knocked out. <laughs> you can, do you understand? You can be persecuted, but you're not forsaken. That's, and you'll keep getting back up and getting back up and getting back up. And you say, rejoice not against me, oh my enemy. You can knock me down seven times, I'll get back up. So, and we wear them out with our resurrection life. Okay, nine lives. And if we get knocked out of here, we're in heaven and we pass on the faith to someone who's still running the race. I mean, it's just like, you can't lose in this. I'm just saying, it's good. Okay, so there, now... The other thing is he chose us not because of our resume, but because of our, his purposes. So he picks people that we wouldn't pick for things that are amazing and eternal and fruitful. I was just reading a, a book by Carter Conlon, who, who up until recently was the senior pastor at Times Square Church after David. And he talks about he was, when he was a young man, he, he, he was trying to get a job as like a dorm RA, you know, like a resident advisor in a dorm. And the people assessing him said, sir, you have no leadership potential at all. So he got a job as a bouncer and a bartender, you know, for a while. He didn't know the Lord. And he, and, but I'd say, yeah, God picks people that people overlook. Who would have picked a, you know, a terrorist to write half of the New Testament? You know, it's just like, solitary. I could use that guy. Okay, because he transforms us and he releases what the world has tried to beat down and make it empty. Okay, so don't limit God. That's all I can say. Uh, so... But here's what I want to talk about just to encourage you in this time of prayer because it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? And some people, some people love prayer, like it's their favorite thing. Other people are like, wait a minute. Now, I want to tell you something. <laughs> I, I know I love prayer. I do. I, I, I think my prayer life is so inefficient. I don't know where the time goes. But it goes, you know, I just get up and I say, God, I need you, you know, and two hours later, I'm still there, God, it's awesome. Then I think like, oh my gosh, I have to get to, I have to do other things. And other people get up and they're like, God, I know you're with me and I've got so much to do and everything I do, you're with me. And they walk in a consciousness of that and their work becomes their worship. I'm not, I'm just saying God makes, he wires us all differently. And I'm sort of irritatingly mystical in, in my approach, like sometimes I wish, yeah, I'd like to get more done. And yeah, there's a fair amount that gets done by just being with God because he, you know, blessings overtake us. So, but, so I just want to talk about a few different places that we go in prayer because prayer's not boring at all. It's a relationship. And unlike some, have, you know, some of you, if you think about it and don't think 
that it's your spouse's fault or anything, but you think about your family gets in a rut, your life gets in a rut, and some of you, you love it. You just love, man, we do this, and we do this, and we do this, and, and that's the joy of it. And others, it's like, we do this, we do this, we do this, but the meaning has gone out of it, you know, and so it's like, God, stir us up. So there are different places in prayer. God will, you'll never get bored uh, if, if you pursue the Lord. I mean, there may be seasons where you're going, God, this is kind of stale. That's good, you know that. He's singing, yeah, I'm glad you noticed because I want to do something new with you. Okay, so here's just some places in prayer. Uh, we're gonna start with John 14, verse two. Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross and be raised from the dead, and he's talking about he's, the Holy Spirit's gonna come after him, all this stuff. It's the last supper, last, the final discourse at the last Seder service that he ever was part of as a human being here on earth. Okay, in John 14, 2, in my, I'm going, in my Father's house are many rooms. If you have New King James, it says many mansions, or if you have Old King James. But these rooms are dwelling places. They're really nice, you know, so what's a room to God might be like the biggest mansion we've ever seen. I don't know. But in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place? Or if, would, you know, it's, that question is translated different ways and different, but here's the thing. He's gone to prepare a place. That's what we want to talk about, places in prayer. So the word translated place is, is from the Greek word topos, which is where we get the word topological. And some of you go, I never heard that word. Well, look it up. It'll make you smart. But it's just like, like a topological, you know, you, we used to, when we were, before there were all these cell phone things, you, if you were going out in the wilderness or you're going hunting and you wanted to know what, what you were getting into, you would go and buy a topo map, a topological map, and it would show the elevations and you could see, figure out where you were going to go and have where the trails are, where the lakes are, where the streams are. It was amazing. It was one of my favorite things when I was young <laughs> is to go into the wilderness, you know. But, the, but so, like, there's places he's prepared. So these are specific places, and, you, so, and the Holy Spirit will bring you to these places. So I'm gonna, li I have about seven or eight different places, um, and I'm sure there's way more. But listen to this. So where do we go to pray? Actually, if you, <laughs> I think Banning covered it, but maybe it was in, in his Saturday night message, there's the secret place. Where do we go to pray? Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Because there's a, how many know that people don't walk around and they're aware of God the Father? But when you go into your secret place, your father is there in secret. That's why some people, you know, like, God, I need a word, I need a word, I need a word. And, and you might hear, I love you. That's your father. <laughs> because what you actually need to keep going is to know that he loves you. But you go, yeah, yeah, God, I know that, I know that. Just tell me, there is, you know, no. What, what is it? You're gonna make it. <sighs> Could you be more specific? I love you. And it's like, but in the secret place, 
you develop a dialogue. And once you know that he loves you, that he might actually tell you some more stuff. But it's like secret and it's personal and it's between you and him and it's portable. But, if you, but you can make a place holy. Like if you always pray in the same place in your house or you always pray, and you, you will notice, man, God's presence is here. And what's really amazing is when other people walk and they go like, hey, what is this? I mean, that's why this, I mean, this, we are called to be a house of prayer. That's why when we built this addition on, actually, there was a suggestion that we tear down what I, up until recently was called the furnace, and I think it's still a good name, but <laughs> it, now it's called the prayer room because people wondered what the furnace was. I, we should just call it the furnace, the prayer room. Or, <laughs> but it's because that room became our prayer room, and it was with great sacrifice that we <laughs> tore down a massive concrete pilaster uh, and, and made it so you could actually see people in that room. And it, and it actually ended up, instead of being torn down to make it convenient, it ends up being a really cute architectural feature of the building that they call it an architectural artifact. But it was the hinge between what was and what was to come. And I'm just saying, it's, it's a secret place. You can go in there. Some people come on this property and they're like, <gasps> some, you know, somebody was telling so I can't come to church there because when I go in their place, I cry. You know why? Because the collective prayers and the worship, which is part of prayer, though it's a big part of prayer, has sanctified, and there's kind of like a collective secret place, but you each have your own secret place. So God, help each person to establish a secret place and not get stuck in a rut. You know, because every time we come into the secret place, we may have a surprise, you know, and I have my, I have my favorite play, things that I do when I come to the secret place that I go through myself, you know, that are just like on-ramps and runways into it. And sometimes it's silence, but often it's confessions and, and uh, you know, creeds and, you know, different things at different seasons that bring my heart into his heart. So God bless each person as they develop a secret place Amen. Okay, second place. This is a fun one. It's called the council room. The council room of the Lord. And when God brings his friends around him to talk about what he's about to do, really, John 15, 15. I no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. And so there's this place where God will bring us in and show us not only what he, what he wants us to do, but what he's about to do. We see this Abraham, who's called a friend of God by Isaiah and by James, in Genesis 18, Yahweh, Hashem, said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Why? Because Abraham was his friend. So, so he said, I don't want to hide. So the, he went and visited Abraham, told me he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so at the, and, and other good things, like by this time next year, Sarah will have a son, and uh, it's all wild. But it, then in Genesis 18, it says, the men, meaning these, the, <laughs> this is like a pre-incarnate visitation of, of God and of Christ. It was a Christophany. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before Yahweh, Hashem. 
That's why I think Yahweh is, was God the Son. But in different places, Yahweh is used for God the Father. So you can't, it's just great, isn't it? God keeps it mysterious, like, okay, God, it's bigger than my brain. But, but Abraham, because he was friend of God, even after God had said this to him, it, it didn't set well with Abraham. Abraham, he's Abraham then, and he, and he stands there before Yahweh. Pretty intense. And then, um, so Abraham drew near, next verse, 23, and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Because Abraham's thinking, wait a minute, my nephew's down there. Even my selfish, ornery nephew is down there and his family, and he's gonna talk to God. Like, are you gonna, what if there's 50 righteous? Yeah, I'd spare the city. What if there's, you know, and he keeps going down until he gets to 10, and then he goes, yeah, I'd spare it for 10, and then Abraham's thinking like, man, Okay, that's far enough. Okay, but um, so Abraham stood before him. Why? Because he's a friend of God and he's welcome to the council room. I love that. And so some of you, I just bless you that you will find yourself at times with God telling you things he's about to do. And, uh, and that, now here's a really important room that he prepared for us, a, t- a place. It's called the courtroom of heaven. This is where decisions are made. And in the council room, there's only friends. But in the courtroom, there's an adversary who can argue legally. And so, and so the, um, by the way, the Hebrew word for, that we is, translate, Satan is not, a, pro, is not a, f- a proper name. It's Hashatan, the adversary. The adversary. He's always against us. He's not for us. He's looking for a legal means to deny individuals and nations of their destiny. Still his job. And we see this in the New Testament in Luke 18. Uh, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city, this is verse three, who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Any of you have adversaries? <laughs> no. So, so for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, She's driving me crazy. I'm gonna give her justice so she'll not, she's just wearing me out, man. And by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. And then he said, how much more will God hear his elect? But then he asked this question. I I mean, then he goes on, he says, I'll tell you, he'll give them justice speedily. Now his definition of speedily is different than ours. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And that's like, what is he saying? He is wondering, will we actually believe his promises? Even when it looks like, you know, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him. That's what he's saying. He said, will... Will my elect, will there be faith in the earth? And he knows the answer to it. He's just challenging us. Will we believe his promises no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what, like God, you didn't answer it yet. On my, you know, like it could be when I breathe my last breath and I step into his presence or a glorious thought if I'm caught up in the air <laughs> that my prayers will go on past my lifetime. And a lot of you are here because your grandparents or your great-grandparents prayed for you and they never even knew you, but they were praying, Acts 16, God, you said you would save me and my whole household. 
and he's working on it. Okay, so that's what, that's what he means. Will he find faith in the earth? No matter what, will I find people who have the substance, the title deed of things they're hoping for, they're expecting, and are they convinced by invisible evidence that they've never seen with their eyes, but they've seen it in their heart, and they believe? That's what he's asking. Okay, and so, and, and so this, bring, and this brings us to another room the throne room of grace, which is a great one, you know, because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. And, you know, we have the best high priest who understands everything. He was tempted in everything as we are but without sin. He gets it, you know. I was going to say he gets you, but I remember there was this advertisement in the Super Bowl and some controversy over it. I just think anything that gets the name of Jesus out there has some benefit. So let us with confidence come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16, that we may, there's two things that happen when we come to the throne of grace. We receive mercy <laughs> and we find grace. See, we, mercy makes us feel better. Grace gives us the power to live rather, to break through, to get salvation, to get the breakthrough, to get the healing. So we, we re so I love coming to the throne of grace. And uh, thank you, Jesus, that he's able <laughs> to help us. He's able to run to our aid. He hears when we cry help, he comes running. That, I mean, that's, it's, that's actually found in Hebrews. This is early on, when I first met Randy Clark, he said one of my favorite prayers is, help! Because God comes running when we sincerely cry help. And so uh, he's able to save us to the uttermost. He, he lives forever to intercede for us. He's a powerful intercessor. Okay, another place, fifth place, a place of rest. This is where he sits enthroned, and, he, and sometimes he'll just bring you there. And the Lord said to my Lord, Psalm 110, verse 1, sit until I make your enemies your footstools. So there are times when we come into prayer, into a powerful place, and we just want to go after something, and he said, no, just rest. Enter into my rest. I have finished the work. I'm going to get it done. And he, and he has this joy because he knows the end of the story. And sometimes he just brings us in, ah, just, this will be good for you. It'll actually increase your authority to rest in faith that I'm going to keep every promise. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever been so busy and so burdened and then God just brings you into, sit here. <laughs> Enjoy it? <laughs> You're sitting in my throne. <laughs> I love it. God, bring us to that place of rest. And then here's a powerful one that we participate in, Mount Zion. Uh, you know, this is Hebrews 12. We've, we've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, innumerable angels accompany in joyful assembly, festal gathering. They're <laughs> the angels are really happy because they, they can see into the future plans. God's shown it to them. And to, this is 22, 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn, and that's plural, firstborn once. 
who are, whose names are written or who are enrolled in heaven, to God the judge of all, spirits of righteous made perfect, Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. They're, we're brought to all these realities, but I wanna talk about when we're, you're brought into the ecclesia, which this word is translated church, it's, tra- you know, it's where we talk about ecclesiastical matters, but it means the citizens of a Greek city, it was a Greek word that was borrowed, brought into uh, Latin, brought into other language, because it was the assembly, when, when they would have a city-state, they would, they would blow a horn or ring a bell, and the citizens, not everybody was a citizen, but the citizens would gather, and they all had the right to speak into the matters of the city, what to allow, what to forbid. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. These are are words of authority in an assembly of God's people. And so it's kind of like if we went to the state capitol and you saw all the desks there in the Senate or in the House, you would see on the desk is a name. It's the name of the person who has the right to sit there and vote. The right to sit there and take the floor and speak about a matter. And what he's saying is here is I've called you into my government. Will you take your place? Your name is written down and what's your status? Firstborn. You're a co-heir with Jesus. It's not just Jesus isn't they're all treated like the firstborn. That's a powerful place. So sometimes you find yourself in that place and you might just start declaring things and you know, speaking what's permitted and what's not permitted and certainly over the areas that you're responsible, you're, you come into this place, but sometimes God will just upgrade you like, hey, I want you to intercede for the nation right now. Really? You know? and so you start saying stuff that you feel like, this seems way above my pay grade. And it is if you just think you can strut right in there and do it because you're hot stuff. But when God brings you into that, that place, you have his authority to speak as his governmental representatives on earth because the heavens belong to the Lord and the earth is given to the children of man. Okay, so that's who you are. Last place, or there's the place of mysteries when we... When we speak in an unknown tongue, we're declaring mysteries. We don't know what we're saying, but God is using that, that we're actually speaking mysteries that we don't understand. It's unlocking things, which is why I know not everybody has this gift of, of speaking in tongues. I wish everybody did. Paul said, I wish you all spoke in tongues more than me. And I know it's weird to people who don't know it and they think like, what a bunch of crazy lunatics. But it is a spiritual gift and we we give thanks well, we build ourselves up in holy faith, and we're declaring mysteries, which is why if you have this gift, and I pray that you all do, and we pray for you that, that God will give this to you, but you can be really in a bad place. I'm telling you, if you'll go and walk and pray, and you just will speak mysteries for an hour or so, you won't be the same person. You'll get energized, you'll be full of fire and, and faith and vision, Why? Because you're being built up. Now, there's another thing that unlocks mysteries, and it's tears, holy tears. In uh, Revelation 5, John is caught up into, I mean, Revelation, yeah, 5. 
come up here. God says, come up here in Revelation 4. And in Revelation 5, he has shown us, and he sees the throne of God and all kinds of angels and four living creatures. And, but he, then he sees this scroll, and the scroll contains the, few, you know, the unfolding of the last things of the earth. And it's sealed with seven seals. And the question is, who's worthy to open the scroll? And John begins weeping like, like just, he's overcome. He's weeping and weeping and weeping because no one was found, found worthy. And then the angels with him pats, says, John, you can stop crying now. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. And so... John looks up and he, he doesn't see a lion. He sees the lamb slain standing on the throne and he's worthy to open the seals because he purchased it with his blood. And, you know, and all heaven breaks into worship and, and it's just it's glorious. But I'm telling you, that, that little comment about John weeping is not incidental or accidental. It is that there are times when you're in prayer, times when there's a, this burden on you. Sometimes it's your own personal uh, repentance because God, something that you thought was fine, God begins to show you how much he loves you and what he's done for you and that you're living way below your, your pay grade. You're living way below your, who you are in Christ. And you just weep. You might spend days and weeks weeping. You come into worship, you're weeping. You go out, you're weeping. You're driving, you're weeping. It, because those tears are unlocking mysteries. Things that you don't understand, but God understands. Sometimes you're interceding for your children or for your city or for your nation or for a certain situation and you just don't even have words for it. You just weep. I'm telling you, your, your tears are holy. God collects them. Not, and it's not, it's not, this isn't because he's just feeling sorry for you. It's because your tears have voice. Just saying. Okay. And then... Um, the, a fun place to go is the trading floor. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. He gives us beauty for ashes. We give him ashes, he gives us beauty or glory. You know, we, he, we give him our sorrows, he gives us joy for mourning, and we give him our heaviness, and he gives us garments of praise. Doesn't get any better than that. But now... My, la my last little part here, and this is actually, I want to land it here. And why don't you stand up, because you've been sitting a long time. And this, may, this will, and maybe the, the, some of the worship team can come up if you're here. Uh, God chose this place. So I'm going to read 2 Chronicles 7, where God appears to Solomon. He appeared to Solomon twice, like full-on appeared. There's no big explanation, but it says, and the Lord, Hashem, Yahweh, appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice, worship, and praise. That's, you understand? Do you know that in 1992, when we were in the... We were in the warehouse on 13th Street and cars were getting broken into. And on a Saturday morning, there was an, a relatively unknown young prophet from South Africa there, Kim Clement, who later became more famous. But he was just there. He'd play the piano. He didn't have a band. And it was Saturday morning. He was given words of knowledge. And, you know, it was all, 
everybody's like, oh, this is amazing. And he's in, actually, he was giving a, a personal word to Anne, and then in that word, he goes into this other word. He says, I see a property, a vast property, on a hill overlooking the freeway. It's for the purposes of training, purposes of counsel, purposes of the little children. And he, he said that, that dignitaries would come and get wisdom here. And he said that people would be able to see it from the freeway and see there it is up there and on and on and on. And so by a miracle in 2000, that was 1992, and a little bit of this building existed in 1992, but most of it was developed in 94, 95 when the AMP Corporation, Aeromarine Products, AMP, took it over and they redid it and made it, you know, that was their idea. It was going to be the center of their empire. But what they didn't know is in 1998, they were going to be taken over by a hostile takeover. And in in 2000, by a miracle, we received this property. We didn't, it wasn't free. (laughs) It was like all the money we had and all the faith we had, we got in. And it was a miracle. God set us here. And it fulfilled not only that word, but other words that were spoken. And to this day, his presence is here, and people will walk in. And to this day, governmental leaders will come here and get counsel, or they'll call on us for help and counsel from other nations. And many of you have been involved in that. And I'm just saying, there's something about this place he chose. So listen. Therefore, let, um, but when you're in a chosen place, there's an assignment, and, and God goes on speaking to Solomon. When I, sh- when I shut up the heavens so there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. In other words, in times of crisis, then this place becomes very important. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And it's very important, I'm I'm trying to make this quick, but there's four things he asks of us, that we humble ourselves. We, We subdue our own plans and submit to his word, his examination. We re, it's kind of like we reset ourselves. And then if my people will humble themselves and pray, and this word pray is not begging prayer. This is a powerful intercessory word, palal. It means to judge, to execute, to expect, to declare. But then it's kind of funny. The next one, I mean, these are not sequential. They're all at the same time. Seek my face. You know, seek, desire, inquire, require, look for me. He wants it to be personal. It's not about power. It's about transformation. Turn from their wicked ways. Leave everything that's harmful and inferior and be reprogrammed to walk in his ways. Turn from their wicked ways. Then... And then he says three things, I'll hear from heaven. You you know, God asks us to hear. It's the hearing of faith. Shema Israel, hero Israel is the beginning of, of God's saying, I wanna have a partnership with you. 
I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I'll remove all your shame, all your sorrow. It's wiped out. I know how bad you were, and I've cleansed you. That's why Jesus died, and I didn't cleanse you so you would go do it again. I cleansed it so you would walk in victory. Forgive their sins, and then I'll heal your land. I'll restore your inheritance. I will heal. That's why I say America's not past the point of no return. That's why I'm saying your household, your dreams, your plans, they're never at the point where there's no hope because he's the God of hope. <laughs> okay. But I do, I want to declare it over this word, uh, this, these next two verses over this place and over you. Now, my eyes will be open, my ears will be attentive to the prayers that is made in this place. And this place, I believe, is also is this property, this building, but this place can be your home as well. You know, you, we're, we sanctify places by our relationship with God. You know, for now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Do you know that Solomon's temple was destroyed? So God said, this is what I'm offering you, and the people couldn't walk in it. He's offering this to you, and you have the Holy Spirit to walk in it, just saying. So, okay, that's it. I want to bless you and activate you in prayer and release you. And what I want to say, I want to say this, that in all our prayers, we're not seeking power. He's got all power. Obviously, we want to walk in the authority of what he's given us, but he's after relationship. He wants you to be so in love with Jesus that everything you do, everything you say, everything you think is Jesus. Now, Jesus is the word of God, so of course, we become more like Jesus the more we're washed in the water of the word, but he's just saying, he wants you to, in all our praying, we're staying in love. When we get strong and bombastic and God gives it, targets the enemy, we understand we don't hate people, we hate the enemy, the spirits behind that. But we're, we wanna stay in his throne room. He's already won the victory. We're just participating in it. And then secondly is not only do we stay in love toward everyone, God and our neighbor, but we overflow with hope. There's no negativity. I mean, sometimes we're warring against things and we name things that are dark, but that's not our focus. Our focus is bringing the light. So I want to pray for this and pray that God give us grace to be the city on the hill, to be a beacon of hope, to be light and salt. And I pray you, God of hope, would fill us all with joy, with all joy and all peace as we trust you, as we believe, so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in our prayers and in our relationships. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. 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 Okay. <laughs> so... I just bless you, release you, go out, have a great week.